Greetings. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I I made a podcast that shared with you and disclosed some of my feelings around the current reality that we find ourselves in and the divisions and the fragmentation that uh, that's happening and how I kind of allowed myself to um, be open enough to grieve in front of you and also felt scared to share some of the things that uh, the, the ways I, in which I see I see things and how um, right now in in these times that we find ourselves to share opinions can be a dangerous thing. Um, today I I don't want to talk too much about that but I wanted to reference that to share with you that the the um, expressions that I had in that podcast have led me to some unfoldments over the last two weeks. And um, one of the things that has helped me a lot in in processing the fact that I shared and sort of went um, under the surface with you um, was a talk that happened between uh, Gabor Mate, um, uh, an elder from Greenland, that everyone called uncle <laughs> and a woman from Athabasca named Ariel and um, um, Bio Akamalafe who's from Nigeria and um, it was a, a conversation um, from science and non-duality um, and it was the wisdom of trauma series with uh, with Gabor Mate. So basically it was a conversation on the trauma of climate change and uh, I highly recommend that you find a way to listen to that conversation if you can, because um, it's uh, it's an important conversation to hear and to listen to, and also to open to a, a hearing in a nuanced fashion. Um, that's the other thing that I that I said two weeks ago is that, like I mean what I was getting at is I feel like because um, we are censoring each other so much um, right now it's very difficult to live in a world and, and a reality where we ha can have any nuance at all if um, if we're censoring ourselves to in the way that we are right now so um, I want this conversation today to be very nuanced and I want you to hold yourself or open in a way that can hold the the nuance because um, what I what I want to speak to today is really just maybe not too long of a conversation, but it would be around um, how part of what is happening and how I'm making peace with this fragmentation is that maybe it's a part of the ingredients to uh, what is being composted and and transformed into into something else. And we struggle with with the frameworks that we have. And that was really the conversation, what I got. I got so much out of that conversation um, that I mentioned. Um, but that was one of my great takeaways was that um, modernity cannot um, handle, it needs to freeze frame everything. And it's a, it's a very... Um, sneaky in the way that it freeze frames everything and freeze frames uh, people based on their uh, how they appear and um, 
and freeze frames people based on how they identify and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, today I want to be gentle and talk to you about how I think that maybe part of our defensiveness right now is that our our identities are often tied up with what we do uh, for a living, with um, the credentials beside our name, with where we went to school, with who um, who we are affiliated with, with what our job is. And some of our jobs may be composting right now. And um, this is speaking particularly within the contemplative community and the Christian contemplative community, but it can be broad. Whoever is listening um, that can hear my music that's um, outside of the Christian tradition, and I know there are some of you, um, but regardless, we, uh, most of us, if we were, have been drawn to the contemplative traditions, it's because we've been touched by one of the first axial traditions, which um, have all expressed themselves institutionally in some way or form or other. And so sometimes the way we have been drawn to those traditions is through those institutions. And so um, parts of us and parts of um, our tradition is shifting. And um, I think if you were to sort of do a time-lapse video and then speed it all up of a compost pail or a compost pile, you would be um, just um, amazed at the change that can happen in 36 hours, how it's alive. And I think um, this great takeaway that I've had in the last two weeks is to really sit with and fall into the realization (laughs) that um, none of this is static. It's it's actually, none of it is frozen in time. And um, this album that I'm uh, working on right now and will be releasing uh, for patrons on November 1st is called Liturgy. And Liturgy, um, in many ways, is a tradition, but it's also uh, been one of the ways in which we feel like we have been able to control or freeze um, freeze time and and in a sense that it's it's unchanging um, and I didn't want to create another closed system in that way um, by bringing in some other voices that were erased or um, put into um, put into clay jars and buried <laughs> but uh, I did want to um, bring in Mary Magdalene and Thecla and these voices that uh, that could um, show us that even when we try to freeze frame something um, by erasing someone else that that it comes back around and um, and shows up again um, because it's alive and um, I didn't want to uh, to make an album that wasn't uh, a living thing. And um, we know that liturgy needs to be living. So that was one of uh, one of the ways that I approached making that the album. Um, so I wanted to talk about that because someone might think that I'm a bit of a hypocrite by making an album called Liturgy 
which they might find to be very strict and structured and stuck. Um, and then is talking about looking at a compost pile. But I think if you were to look at the narratives within it and the symbolism within um, that within that liturgy, you can find um, find the, that wisdom of um, that isn't frozen in time, but is actually transforming out of our control, and that that's actually really one of the great built-in messages of that liturgy. If we can um, open our hands and our hearts and unclench ourselves. Um, to to hear it. But the other thing that uh, I'm, I'm drawn to is, it's, it's interesting, is I've been hearing this uh, conversation this week around um, how pan-culturally uh, we all have in the pre-axial um, age and the traditions that are hearkening to us from our, our current, present, alive ancestors um, that are really speaking to us right now. Um, we all, uh, all of us have a history and an ancestral lineage of stories that talk about shape-shifting. And it's interesting that uh, next year's album already has within it the story uh, of the fox woman um, that I wrote. I wrote that song um, last year, but but it will be on next year's album. And I think I'm going to be working with shape-shifting quite a bit more coming up and looking for those, uh, for those stories because, again, um, shape-shifting, um, our, our, if our ancestors were talking about that a long time ago and if within the, within the, the liturgy we can find the mystery of, um, of change... <laughs> the mystery of something that is beyond us that we are a part of that we don't have control over that we surrender into um, those are are the things that we have to be working with right now that's the material that we're working with right now and uh, so I've made a little bit more peace than with the last podcast uh, where I showed my grief around the um, the fragmentation of my own community and how I'm sensing it within the um, the hope of a beloved community as well. Um, one thing I will say uh, that I think is important for all of us is what I'm sensing from people right now is a tenderness around our identities connected to our professions and how if our professions are changing, composting, dying even, um, or, or dying into the sense that we can understand them or comprehend them or can control them, um, there is the risk because we so in this culture um, identify with what we do, uh, there is the risk of, of um, dis such despair and so I want to be gentle and thoughtful with you about that. And um, because here's the thing, it's happening like across the board. It isn't just in religious institutions, it's anywhere in any institution. Um, because uh, there's something about these modern institutions that tries to hold something 
uh, as though it is forever and ever. And I actually believe that I don't know which is the chicken or the egg here, but that's what the GDP does. That's what the growth economy does. It tries to say this is a never-ending thing. Um, this the unsustainable um, consumption is this never-ending thing. We try to freeze it in time, but also need to be consuming at a at a rate that is mind-blowing in order to to continually feed it. Um, and so I think that the GDP itself is is composting. And if that is the case, then all of these institutions that sort of are shaped by it and also shape it will be as well. And, um, and I want to say that if you have uh, a position in your world, um, I heard two weeks ago from a beautiful doctor um, down in the southern United States who was talking about how to hold um, a tenderness toward um, the shift in, in potentially in um, what medicine could look like, but also in a tenderness toward her profession. And I think that's a really great example of how we can broaden that out into all of our professions and um, be tender about it, but also open because um, we, like I said two weeks ago when I said maybe we need to be saying the serenity prayer, accepting the things we cannot change, you know, um, and maybe the change that we can be <laughs> uh, in control of is, the, is to release our control is to release um, our need to feel like we have a toehold over and above this broader spectrum of interconnectivity that is across the world. And one thing, that the, I guess the last thing I'll say about this, uh, well, two things. One is um, don't think that because, you're, because our systems are, are changing, that that means suddenly that your life and the work that you have done and the work that you're doing right now is meaningless and and hasn't served. I think that's um, it makes it makes our ourselves too centralized in this conversation. It's not about centralizing our own work if it really is a form of service. So there's that. And next, I want to say that uh, there's a lot of conversation around um, embodiment right now, especially in contemplative spaces, and I'm I'm glad about that. But I want to back up a little bit further. I think um, what has come to me uh, this week and last week is that um, we could try and freeze frame that as well because we are working with tools that do that, right? Um, you know, uh, the famous uh, saying by Audre Lorde, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Um, this is, this I think is across, uh, across the board. Um, when uh, we use this term embodiment, we try and sort of force ourselves into our bodies. But what if we were to back up a little bit further? And this is the last thing I'll say. Um, and, and realize that our bodies are participating already in a way that we're not conscious of on a microbial level, 
um, in the interconnectivity, we are an energy level and <laughs> in the interconnectivity of, of this unfolding story. And what would it look like for us to sink into that? And what if that is um, one, of the, one of the definitions we could use for the mystic? That it is our bodies are already participating in this great oneing um, through uh, bi- biologically, um, my, it, it, with our, our gut microbiome and our surroundings and, um, and also in, in the way that we energetically move, um, move through the world. So what if uh, we don't get to uh, colonize our embodiment <laughs> and sort of force an embodiment, but actually fall into what our bodies are already participating in without us being conscious of it, which is another relinquishment of control, which I think is um, going to be the conversation uh, moving forward um, in many, many different spheres that are all um, connected. And uh, I'm not going to say too much about it this week, but something that's been coming up for me is working with Mary Oliver's beautiful poetry of letting the soft animal uh, part of ourselves love what it loves, but then working with the Gospel of Thomas um, and uh, this this idea of the man eating the lion and the lion eating the man and the interpretations of that when it comes to um, these contemplative traditions and the mindfulness work or the meditation or centering prayer and how that... Uh, helps us to participate in nonviolent ways in the world. And what does it look like to sink in to, uh, I don't have the answer to this, <laughs> but, but something that's come up for me is what does it look like to sink into that soft animal part of our bodies? And what does the contemplative tradition, whichever one that we work with, um, how does that dance? How do those two dance? together because I think they do um, these interpretations of the the uh, hierarchy uh, the higher lower um, uh, plays a role I think right now in us misinterpreting um, the mindfulness aspects of, of sort of controlling our animal nature but uh, I think there's going to be some really interesting conversations moving forward of of what it looks like to sink into the oneness of what's already happening in an embodied way for ourselves um, and to trust. And maybe part of our work um, in sitting in silence is to realize that um, this, this unfoldment that's happening, this composting, which feels like um, collapse and chaos and to us, um, is something that we can work with when we're um, it, when we are sitting in in a trust in in trusting and um, in assuming the stance as Jim Finley says of that offers the least resistance to being overcome uh, by by uh, by this great lover by this oneness by um, what may appear to us. Um, 
as uh, something that we cannot articulate and are therefore afraid of. So those are my thoughts this week. Um, Thank you for listening. And we will see if I have any more thoughts (laughs) or ponderings next week. Um, While I am releasing albums and all of that, sometimes I don't end up doing this podcast on a weekly basis, this Sunday song and rumination, but we'll see. Thank you.